Good to have you back with us. Has the Me Too movement hit the Trudeau Foundation? Yeah, this headline caught my eye. A former scholarship student filed a $1.25 million lawsuit that alleges she was sexually harassed by her mentor and who claims when she told the foundation, she was then pressured to sign a non-disclosure agreement to keep quiet. And the member is a woman who's a member of the Nakla Pamu Nation in BC. She got this scholarship to the foundation in 2016. So it's kind of this dream, um, you know, internship for her. And then she claims she was sexually harassed by her mentor, which uh, was a, a guy who was the former premier of the Northwest Territories. And according to this suit, the woman says she was told if this got out, it would be bad for her. She could get sued, accused of racism, and that it was just a cultural misunderstanding. And then what really kind of caught my eye is the foundation's response to this saying, quote, it has a different interpretation of several facts alleged. Where have we heard that talking point be before? It just seems that there's this canned talking point of, well, they just experienced it differently, but nonetheless. Mackenzie Irwin joins us. She is with Simfiru Tamarkin Law, and this isn't your case. Catherine Marshall's actually on this case, but she can't speak to it. But when it comes to a high-profile high case, and I want to be very clear, this does not involve the prime minister. This is his foundation. I mean, he stepped down when he became leaders, but his brother's involved. Um, but, you know, Mr. Trudeau has been very clear as this um, self-anointed feminist that he has a no-tolerance policy when it comes to an unsafe working space. So you would think that that culture would exist in a, in a foundation bearing his name. But when you read the statements, you know, and, and the, the, you know, the case laid out, it, it, it sounds like this woman um, certainly wasn't believed I think you're, there's two points here. Number one, I think it's it's really important that I don't think many um, Canadians are going to be making that distinction between the Trudeau Foundation and the Trudeau government. So mm -hmm. while these allegations are against the Trudeau Foundation, and and as you as you mentioned, Justin Trudeau hasn't been involved um, in that recently. Um, I I don't really think that it, it's obviously not helpful to the Trudeau brand. So. Uh, obviously, a large part of the Trudeau government is that they've uh, purported to be this feminist government. But these allegations are not helpful to the Trudeau brand. And they certainly run contrary to what Justin Trudeau and his government stand for. So I think they've got a huge problem here. Right. And, and then it takes me back to that talking point, because that's what really stood out to me was this. Well, you know, it's we, we have a different interpretation of it. It's like, well, we just experience things differently um, when we have been told. And certainly since the Gian Gomeshi days, uh, we must believe her. Now, I believe in due process. And so I would think that, you know, let all the facts come out because that's, you know, where I am. But but again, um, because the brand of Trudeau is as a feminist, is as, you know, no tolerance, everyone's nice to each other. It is, I think, a hit to the brand. Certainly, yeah. And, and I think it's important to note here that um, in my experience with handling cases involving allegations of harassment or sexual harassment, um, you know, these organizations have a legal obligation to investigate all claims of harassment or sexual harassment in the workplace. So, mm. um, and they, they also have to take all reasonable steps to prevent any uh, further misconduct for, from occurring. So it really, you know, it really doesn't matter um, that, that they interpreted the facts differently or they've um, any kind of complaint. The second that this complaint came, came to the forefront, they had an obligation to, to, to investigate that complaint. Um, and depending on the seriousness of the nature of the conduct complained of, 
So, for example, in this uh, instance, the, the allegations are, are quite serious. Um, this might require the organization to, to immediately hire a third party investigator. So I think one of the biggest mistakes that these organizations make when they're when they're faced with these kinds of allegations is that they tend to folk. They still even with the Me Too movement after the Me Too movement, they still tend to focus on brushing these allegations under the rug instead mm-hmm. of addressing the issue head on. Uh, in, in addition to that, they really need to start taking care of the victim and taking all reasonable steps to make sure that this misconduct doesn't happen again. Right. And I find it interesting that in this particular suit, it's directed solely at the foundation. So it does not name the man in question, you know, the defendant, or nor does it name anybody in the foundation uh, with whom this this woman had interacted with over and who knew of these allegations. So what would be the strategy there? You know, I can't speak specifically to the strategy and on that, but certainly, you know, um, it, obviously the, the organization is the one with the deep pockets here. So, yeah. um, so they, and they are held to that, to that legal standard, that legal obligation um, to investigate um, all claims of harassment. So, so while I can't speak to the specifics of this case in general, um, mm-hmm. when an employer fails to investigate and something like this happens, um, you know, there are serious legal repercussions um, uh, based on that failure. Right. I mean, the one thing you don't want is to walk away from one of these cases where you've won and then you've got nothing coming out of it. So go, uh, you know, aim high and, and see where it takes you. But then there's the issue of the non-disclosure. Um, you know, NDAs are, uh, they're a, a necessary evil. Um, they certainly gained a lot of attention during the Gian Gameshi case and some of the more high profile Me Too cases because... Um, you know, companies will get uh, people to try to sign these non-disclosure agreements as a way to, to make things go away. We'll give you something, but you've got to shut your mouth and not talk about it. Um, it when it comes to cases of a sexual nature of this, it really can be almost, I don't want to call it a weapon, but but it, it gags the person um, who is the complainant from speaking. Uh, and, and so again, a lot of people don't like them, but she didn't sign one, which I think is interesting is because she clearly wanted to say something. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, NDAs in general are just they're just a very common part of the equation when it comes to complaints of this kind of nature. Um, settlements in cases like this almost always require some sort of NDA because obviously the employers want to limit their exposure um, and any potential for negative publicity that m- might result from the allegations getting out. Um, but the issue with the with the NDAs is that if people can't talk about their experiences, um, the perpetrators often get away with whatever they've done, and, mm-hmm. and it prevents organizations from making the changes that are necessary right. to prevent future issues and to protect protect others. So, um, in my experience, I've seen many ser- cases involving serial harassers in the workplace. Who've allowed, who've, who are allowed to kind of get away with what with whatever they've been doing for years, moving from yeah. from one victim to another, or even from one department to another, with no real action taken um, by the employer. And it's the NDAs that really create that vacuum that's necessary for them to to allow for this to happen. So yeah, well, I think I think there's definitely a public interest in terms of preventing NDAs in cases of harassment or sexual harassment. And I just want to point out, you know. There are some jurisdictions that prohibit NDAs in sexual harassment cases. That was something that kind of was implemented as a byproduct of the Me Too movement. 
And I, th- mm-hmm. I really do think this is something that we should uh, start to consider implementing here in Canada. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, they, they, they do serve a purpose, but it can leave a, a cast of doubt. Like, you know, this vacuum you talk about that fills up with, um, you know, the court of public opinion. And often uh, the victim can be seen as someone who just wanted the payday and, and didn't want to have to explain anything. Or on the flip side, it gets a company, you know, a, a way of, of getting out of trouble and not taking the bad publicity. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, when it comes down, and I think the reality is, um, to come forward with a harassment complaint, um, especially a sexual harassment complaint, that's a that's a huge, a huge, um, you know, it, it's a huge feat. It's, it's something that takes a lot of courage to do, um, to just, you know, to issue the, the complaint, the initial complaint, and let alone to take that next step to turn down an NDA and to, um, and to pursue litigation in it. I think that's yeah. something that, um, you know, this woman has um, shown some some really uh, amazing courage. Yeah, it, it certainly is something when you're going up against a, a big name like, uh, you know, the Trudeau name, et cetera. I mean, it, it's not an easy feat. And so we will uh, give it the attention that it deserves and we will stay tuned. Thanks for the clarity on this and the insight, Mackenzie. Thank you so much for having me. That is Mackenzie Irwin with Semfiro to Markin, uh, Labour Law. And, um, you know, we'll keep an eye on this. I was a bit surprised this morning when the Prime Minister was not asked about this, but maybe there were some selective questions uh, that were omitted. But uh, we will keep an eye on it because it does, of course, carry his name.